I've done all the talking already today. God, your voice sounds so good. I'm sorry. You put that in the microphone, and I just was like, oh, in my ears. <laughs> Well, hey, everybody, and welcome to The Debrief, a weekly Q&A show from Sandals Church and Pastor Matt Brown. I'm Justin Pardee, hanging out here with my friend Dolores. We got Dexter in the house. Dextral. I said Dexter. I got com- it's all, it's all yeah. linguistically it's okay. confused. My name's not really Dolores. I'll either, be Dilbert. So. And, we, <laughs> and we have <laughs> Pastor... Dolores, and Dilbert. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Pastor Matt Brown. Uh, we are excited to have you back. Thanks for coming again. Thanks for yeah. having me. We're continuing our conversation on racism and the others series. You preached the recipe for racism this weekend, part two. Not for racism. Oh, oh, the recipe <laughs> to end racism. Yeah, there you yeah. go. The recipe for I the- don't think the world needs help. No. With racism. Yeah, we're making that case. Yeah, we seem to figure yeah. that out just fine. Good yeah. job, guys. Way got, to go. Got, got it handled. <laughs> so last week we had a, a really great conversation, and this week we're just going to plow through some of the questions you guys have sent in. Good news is, because we didn't get to any of your questions last week, and you continue to send them in, we have got a lot. So you guys cool if we just jump right into this Let's and pick it. up yeah. the conversation? We don't have a five-star review this week? We, we're we not even carving time, man. The five-star oh. review is going to be in everyone's hearts at the end mm-hmm. of the show when they go, man, that was golden. Okay. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. All right, here we go. Let's do it. Uh, the very first question we have as we continue this topic and conversation about racism comes from Sam, who says, you talked, your sermon talked about how separating walls in the temple was a product of racism. I read, this was week one of the other yes. series, by the way. He says, I read about the plans for the first temple, and it seems to have only had one wall separating priests and all the other people. Was... Um, was this wall okay? And then when did the other walls maybe get added that yeah, you were talking so, about? So that really there's... Practically speaking, there's three temples. Now, okay. theologians are going to lose their minds because there's only two, but really there's three. Hmm. Uh, so there's the first temple built by Solomon sure. uh, based upon the plans that King David gets. So his son Solomon builds that temple. That temple is very, very small, and he's right. There's only a wall separating the priests uh, from uh, the, you know, the holiest of holies in that area. So then they get destroyed, uh, carted off to Babylon. Then they come back, Ezra and Nehemiah rebuild that temple. Okay. So... Um, uh, and that's where there's the confusion as two or three. So that temple is rebuilt. And then along comes a guy, uh, Israel's version of Donald Trump, big builder. His name is Herod. And I'm not saying that in any way, you know, because <laughs> that, that Trump is Herod. Yes. But Herod or Trump's a big builder, big construction guy. Trump, or Herod's the same way. And so um, almost all of the relics that you see in Israel are leftovers from King Herod. And so King Herod builds this massive, uh, you know, literally ancient wonder of the world for God, so people that can come and worship. And it, it creates, because it now has the capacity and, and Judaism has become so popular. So you have to remember that when David and Solomon build the temple, it's really a Jewish thing. Mm-hmm. Now Queen Sheba starts coming and all these people start coming and showing up and, and literally Israel becomes a very, very famous place. And so now when the next temple comes in, they get destroyed. But when Romans uh, are there, they're, they're enamored with the Jews. And so it, it's, it's, it's a, it's a collecting place. And okay. so they create quadrants for individual people. And so that, that's why there's, there's gender barriers. There were uh, handicap barriers and there were uh, uh, racial barriers. And then there was even barriers within certain families, certain tribes within Israel. You know, if you came from a priestly line or not priestly line, there were special entrances. Actually, we didn't even get into this for wealthy people. Mm-hmm. You know, there was first class seats, second class seats and no class seats. And so they had all of that. And the whole thing was a disaster an absolute disaster. And it's really, really tragic and really, really terrible. And uh, literally, like I said, as you entered the Nicanor Gate, there was a sign that said, 
upon pain of death if you're not Jewish, hmm. if you enter these gates. And so that actually, when we look in uh, the book of Acts, that's what Peter, or excuse me, Paul's accused of. Paul is accused when he comes back oh, uh-huh. to Jerusalem of bringing Gentiles with him into hmm. uh, the Jewish place. And he says, no, I have not done that, hmm. but they don't care. Mm-hmm. So. so you said there's three temples. The third one is, is kind of like Herod's remodel. Yeah, if you, if you, okay, if you look at it, like theologically speaking, there's two. Okay. Practically, I'm telling you there's, 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 there's three. Gotcha. So there's the original, there's the rebuilt one, and then there's Herod's. Okay. So there you go, Sam. Yeah. All right. So Noah asked the question. We kind of wrapped up last week's episode and your first sermon in the series was all about the different types of racism. And Noah asked the question and says, regarding your point, your point on foolishness as a form of racism, you said it was important to be able to laugh at some of each race's peculiarities. I understand that it's important to be lighthearted about certain things, but if you come to, if we become comfortable with these little jokes at the expense of each other, wouldn't that divide us into different herds rather than uniting us? Yeah, I'm super passionate about this. You know, I consider myself a, a part-time comedian, and, and I really think <laughs> I really think that political correctness is killing comedy. I think it's absolutely destroyed comedy, and I think it's important not to laugh at, but to laugh with. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's really, really important. And um, you know, uh, there, there are beautiful things about every culture and there's funny stuff about every culture. You know, I joked um, and I, everybody gets it, right? If there is a serial killer in Riverside, what are the chances that he's a black dude? Slim. Very, <laughs> zero to none. Yeah. You need to look at 40 to 55 single men, probably bald. And I'm looking right at you, right? Okay. A couple um, of years we're watching out. Yeah, you know, it's not a white van that's dangerous. It's a white dude. And that's yeah. just, that's just the reality. And, and you need to embrace that. And, and man, well, whatever. Okay. So white people, when we snap, we really, really snap. And, and, and that's, and that's, it's a funny thing. It's a, well, it's not a funny thing. Serial killers are not funny, <laughs> especially if you are a serial killer listening to this episode. Uh, please funny, bro. Yeah, do not, not make it funny. <laughs> Shut yeah, it down. Yeah, yeah. We're praying for you, bro. Um, I, I think that you it's, can call him bro. It's, it's he's absolutely, a <laughs> uh, you know, important. And um, like nowadays, you know, black comments, like if you go look at Chris Rock on YouTube, man, that guy gets more hate than anybody because what he said that was funny in the nineties is not considered funny now. Yeah, It's just not. Mm-hmm. And so he's considered culturally insensitive and out of touch. And um, he's funny. He's mm-hmm. a funny dude. And I love that he is. He's the zebra. Yeah. He's a zebra in that show. Man, he's funny. Madagascar. Madagascar, dude. That he's funny. <laughs> okay. So his voice, man, is is just funny. And I, and I think I think humor is funny. I think it's important to be able to laugh at yourself. And look, take God seriously. Don't take yourself too seriously. Now, having said that, you got to you got to check your heart. Is, is is there something racist that's in me that actually looks down or demeans them? And you got to be really really careful. Um, you know, Dex, talk about real just real quickly. You know, your 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 wife's family's Hispanic, and sometimes they laugh at stuff, and you're like, oh, I can't laugh. Talk yeah. about that. Yeah, well, that, that's you know definitely one of those things where, you know, depending on the group that is doing the joking, sometimes you're invited to be a part of it, sometimes you're not. My wife's family, big giant family, love all of them. They get together, they have a great time, they make fun of uh, Hispanic peculiarities, and I can't speak into that. But I think it's important to understand that there are, there's two different types, right? There's there's comedy as art. Which is your Chris Rocks and your right? Just t- take your pick, right? Um, and and as art, uh, comedy has always been an opportunity for people to speak the truth to power. Mm-hmm. It's important that, especially when we're talking about race and racism. Racism. My wife and I had a conversation about this, and she reminded me. We start talking about racism. It's how are you leveraging power? Are you the group of people who are in power? Or are you the group of people who are the powers being leveraged against? Well. 
art has always been a way for people to speak truth to power. Music mm -hmm. has been that way, mm -hmm. right? If people have used yeah. music during the civil rights movement, uh, uh, any type of art, poetry, all of these, you know, so, so, so there's that type. I'd say reserve that for the professionals, right? There's people who do it. Are you saying I'm not a professional? No, comic? you're part time. You said yeah, yourself you're part time. Part -time. Yeah. I'll still call that pro. I mean, yeah. it's part time. You know, off season. You have your your. This your... is Dex's last. Yeah. <laughs> it's been great. It's been a great run. Yeah, but you you have people who use it as art. That's one thing. I would say you have to be really sure. really careful. Sure. Personally, right? Yeah. You might have an HR moment where mm. you get called into the office if you're spending too much time trying your stand up material. On you know your your coworker who is different than you, mm -hmm. I think relationship allows that. Being invited into that you know is is something that you know the walls start to go down. But just to assume because I think it's funny for me to say something about someone else, not a thing, mm -hmm. not a thing. No, I, I agree with that. You know, yeah. And again, you know, are you trying? What, what are you trying to do? You right. know, so. Uh, and also, you know, depending on how funny you are is what you can get away with. For sure. And if you ain't funny, shut yeah. up. Yeah. And, and I'm the same way. Like, I love, I, I'm totally fine joking about race. It doesn't offend me. But just because it doesn't offend me doesn't mean it doesn't offend the next person. So it's always important to know what those boundaries are and what those lines are. I think the same thing is, you know, with genders. There's certain things that we can laugh about, you know, in our office environment within our department that another department or another may not think it's funny. Mm -hmm. And all that's sort of based on understanding and knowing each other and, 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 and knowing where the line is. Yeah. Who asked that question? Uh, his name is Noah. Noah. Dude, literally, I made fun of people who shop at Nordstrom Rack this weekend. Yeah. I Which shop. I take offense. I saw I, I you, you at Nordstrom, Nordstrom Rack. Rack. I, Hours I shop there <laughs> because I'm cheap. Get yeah. over yourself. Learn to freaking laugh at yourself. Good yeah. Lord. Yeah. People are offended because I make fun of you because you want a good deal. Yeah. Oh, the, <gasps> fir the first message you made this uh, just, it was incredibly astute. You said, you know, why do all your Mexican friends drink Bud Light, which is 100% true, and why do all white people drink Coronas? It's true. That's like the bomb drop. <laughs> You know, just that was you know why? hilarious. Because I'm a cultural noticer. Ooh. You are. Mm. You are a noticer. Somebody sent me a, a map this week of the entire country of Mexico covered in a Budweiser logo. <laughs> and they're like, it's true, Pastor Matt. I was like, it's true. Yeah, it's up there. It's true. Although some of my Latino friends do drink um, Coors Light. They, yeah. they had to inform me of that. Mm -hmm. But they don't drink Corona. Yeah. So, and I, well, I don't drink anything because I'm gluten-free, but I really enjoyed a Corona. Mm. Yeah. Sorry, if you're an alcoholic, I love you. Well, I, just, I think I appreciate your perspective on that because I think it forces us to not just have our like lines of, oh, this is okay, this is not okay. Like I think even about the sex conversation we had a couple weeks ago, everyone wants the, well, what's okay, what's not okay? Mm -hmm. Just tell me the exact thing so I can just know the rule, I'll follow that and be you know a good person or not a good person. Mm -hmm. So I think even with this conversation, realizing like it's not just about like, here's the one thing, you can make the joke, you can't make the joke, this is a joke you can. Like that we've been given wisdom, we've been given discernment to make, the call based on our situation and our wisdom that God's given us. So, right. yeah, and I, again, man, I just love comedy. I think we're killing comics mm -hmm. because they can't. There are just so many things that are off limits, and typically comedians have gone after that thing that's off limits. And mm -hmm. so, um, you know, I think we need to to love each other and 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 be able to laugh with each other, not laugh at each other. And yeah. I think that that's really really important. And um, anyways, I I just think I think humor is an important thing, and um, I think it's a good thing. Just don't try to hurt people or put people down and. Well, speaking of laughter, this question is going to suck it all out of the room. Okay, this Thank is, you. we're getting serious. Awesome. Michael says, my mother was seven years old when the Japanese bombed Pearl Harbor, and she still holds deep resentment and distrust toward the Japanese people. How can she deal with this and bring peace to her heart? 
Well, look, this is the this is the issue of the world. I mean, a, a lot of the racism that still occurs worldwide is for stuff that didn't just happen in your generation, but your grandmas, your grandpas, third, fourth, fifth generations. Um, I mean, get an Irish person talking about the English. They're going to go back to, you know, uh, uh, what's his name? Braveheart. I mean, it's yeah. like, it's, it's like, look, man, at some point you got to get over it and you move on. Here's the one thing that America has done well. America has committed war against people and then we move on. I think we've probably done that better than any nation in the history of the world. We literally fight to the death, then we make peace and we move forward. It's truly a remarkable thing because most countries hate each other forever. Mm-hmm. Um, for those from that generation, I, I think that it is a very, very painful thing. And uh, it's a very, very ugly thing. And here's the reality. If you're Japanese, I love you, but there was something in your culture that was really, really evil and ugly for about 250 years. It was. And if you don't believe me, you haven't read history. There's something that happened uh, in that culture. Um, the same thing happened to Germans for a period of time where they just thought and believed they were better than everybody else. And uh, the Japanese, it was like a religion, similar to what we're seeing in North Korea. It's a religion. And that's not, uh, I don't think it's um, something that just the Japanese people will struggle with. I think all cultures have struggled with it at some point in time in history. It's just uh, the Japanese struggle with that is recent history. Now, I will say this about the Japanese culture. Man, they've changed. Mm -hmm. they, They have radically changed. Uh, and they're still Japanese. They still love their culture, but they're peaceful people. They're wonderful people. They're amazing people. Uh, they're industrious people. They have a great, wonderful, beautiful culture. And all of those things are true. And there was a time where, um, you know, that their culture was really, really ugly. And it, it just it just was. Just like as Americans, we have things in our culture, historically speaking, that have been extraordinarily ugly. But there are parts of American culture that are really, really beautiful. So, just know this, that, uh, you know, and I, d- does he say if his grandma's a Christian or whatever? He did not say that. Here's, here's the challenging part about being a Christian. You got to forgive. You got to move on. Mm-hmm. The Japanese surrendered. And guess what? They've done everything we've asked them to do for like 75 years. Mm-hmm. I think we're good now. All those people that committed those crimes in the Zach, almost all of them are gone. Certainly the people that were in decision-making mm-hmm. powers, right? right? right. They're, they're all gone. And, um, and we have to deal with that. We have to let the past be the past, especially in America. A lot of times when people get super upset about something that happened in the past, what I tell people is go protest a graveyard because that's where those people are. Mm-hmm. They're dead, they're gone, they're not here. And yeah, what they did was awful, evil, and ugly, but they're gone, mm-hmm. they're gone. And, and, and man, if you study English history, you, you know what they did to uh, General Cornwallis? You know, he, he uh, is it General Cornwallis? He's he the one that overthrew the, the kingship for a period oh, of time? Sure. It's not General, it's Cornwallis. Okay. Mm-hmm. But um, after he dies, when when the, the king comes back to England, do you know what they do? They put him on trial. He's dead. Wow. They pull his body up from the grave. They present him in a courtroom. He's dead, his corpse. Great. And they judge him. And then they burn him and they do all things to his body. Where'd he go? Yeah, mm-hmm. it's not General Cornwallis. Someone from British history know that. But I, when I, I was sitting there in England, I was like, get over it, people. <laughs> <laughs> He's dead. I hope they put one of those cute white wigs on him. Yeah. yeah. Just so, just so he fit in. Like weekend at Bernie's. Can, can, <laughs> yeah. can you imagine we're sitting, we're presiding in a court of law yeah. over a corpse. It's crazy. But they did it. Yeah. Because well, it's hard to get over wounds from the past. Mm-hmm. It, it just is. And and I, you know, I don't care what culture you are, at some point you've been a slave or you've put people in slavery. Mm-hmm. And that's, that is the nature of humanity. Racial hostility is what the world gives us. Racial slavery. Jesus came to set us free. Mm. 
He came to set us free. And the only way we get to be free from that tor- uh, kind of slavery is to become a slave of Jesus. Mm-hmm. We have to choose to follow him and trust him in that healing process. And I get, look, man, I wasn't there. I didn't see those things that happened. Um, and it's easier for me. Like I was in Vietnam in 2012 and we're on this boat and there's the um, communist flag flying. This, this uh, fat French dude goes, um, how does it make you feel to fly under that flag knowing you guys lost? And I said, it wasn't my war, bro. Mm. I wasn't even, well, I guess I was alive for part of it, but I was little. Yeah. But for my mom's generation, when I told her I was going to Vietnam, man, she freaked out. Mm-hmm. She had high school friends that didn't come home wow. or they came home and they weren't right. Weren't the same, yeah. So. Do you think there's anything towards just like fear? Like he says his mother was seven years old when this happened. And I can almost just imagine, like I'm trying to think of, you know, my own sons, six and eight, yeah. right around that age, and what it might be like for them to experiencing something totally terrifying like that particular attack. And especially mm-hmm. how, you know, the, our country talked about it and used that, and that really dragged us into this gigantic war that could have been so scary. I wonder if there's like fear-based oh, sure. things that she's just been holding on to, and if there's well, a chance. she probably lost brothers. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, my grandmother tells me very clearly, she grew up in Arkansas. She had never heard of Japan. Wow. Did not know it existed. And then we were at war with this country. I mean, I mean, for her, it might as well have been Mars. Yeah. She had no idea. But when the war happened, her dad died that same year and she was shipped off to California. It was the most traumatic event of her life. Wow. And when she was in her late 80s, guess what ethnicity her pastor was? Not Japanese, but didn't matter. He's Asian. Because mm-hmm. to her, they're all the same. Right. And God had to work a miracle in her heart at the end of her life because her Filipino uh, pastor, whose people were actually oppressed just right. as much, yeah. well, way more actually, uh, unless you're a prisoner of war by the Japanese people, she learned to love him mm-hmm. and trust him. Why? Because they were in relationship and he loved my grandma and he was so good to her. Mm. Um, but that was really, really hard for her because she grew up in a time in America when everything was racially divided and you were your race, you mm-hmm. were. And, and you have to understand American history. It wasn't just people of color, man. It was people that came later. That, that was the issue. So if you came from Eastern Europe, if you were Italian, if you were, you know, what, what if you hadn't been here and hadn't assimilated, man, it was rough. Mm-hmm. It was really, really rough. And, uh, you know, people don't realize, but ghettos started with the Irish and the Italians. That's mm-hmm. where that term comes from. And uh, um, they were locked in these battles against each other, try, trying to survive in this country where they didn't fit in. Mm-hmm. And so uh, America has been, again, the ideal is beautiful. All men are created equal. Our culture has eaten that for lunch. Mm-hmm. So that same thing true at Sandals. You know, we, our vision is to be real, man. What what is the culture of your small group? What's the culture of your friendships? Right. What's the culture of this church? I guarantee you, out of the five hundred small groups that will be in be in uh, meeting this week, what, what one, two, three are going to start with confession? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Zero. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, let's start group with all the sins that we've committed. Man, I I, I committed sins every day, mm-hmm. every day today. I don't think I'm sinning right now, but I might be. Okay. So. Yeah. One of the staggering things is to think that there's an entire generation of that grandmother Mm -hmm. who was deeply, deeply affected by a moment in time or by, you know, uh, uh, that, that war. And that entire generation, some processed it better than others, but one of the things that we continually have to overcome are the challenges and the the perspective, the worldview that is generated by the sins or the frustration that occurs during a generation, right? So there's my generation, generation before my mother, 
and father, born under Jim Crow, when they were both young, couldn't drink the same water fountain, found each other, their generation before, you know, these are, are, are people who are sharecroppers deep and are their generation before mm-hmm. just emancipated, their generation before slaves, their generation. Before, I mean, you've got like all of these things that are that are staggering one on top of the other. And what I think ends up being one of the deeper challenges isn't so much of how does an individual overcome a moment that just stunted their relationship from a racial standpoint, but how can we overcome the systems that get in place by generations who have Mm -hmm. had these moments that have stunted them racially? Meaning you've got senators, you've got presidents, you've got people who are in power who are really trying to overcome the same emotions that this grandmother feels Mm -hmm. related to this Japanese person or that they may feel about black people or whatever, Mm -hmm. or that black people may feel about the generation and the system that was in place before them. To me, that is you know what's going on like with the whole and this is a hard left right now but i think the whole kaepernick nfl we're going to kneel down ha- is completely out of context for a generation who just cares about a flag and a song mm-hmm. you've got another group of people who are saying i get that song is beautiful flag is fine mm-hmm. but there has to be a way for us to say that right now is not okay and this is the way that we're saying right now, this is not okay. I think it's more of a generational thing than it is a racial thing. Mm-hmm. You have a group of people who are saying, if we march in the streets, we're going to get shot and killed. But if I also go down on my knee, now I'm being told I need to get fired. Mm-hmm. How can our generation say to the people who are in power, none of this is right? We're having an issue. And to me, when I hear about, uh, here's a grandmother who's having an issue you know, because of something that Japan did. To me, that gets blown up exponentially by an entire generation of grandmothers and grandfathers mm-hmm. who are having to process the world through the eyes of that that moment. That ends up being where all of us, all of the hoops that we have to jump through when we're kids to understand races mm-hmm. and to fall in love with people and all that sort of stuff, we end up having our own moment, right? For us, it may be uh, Charlottesville. For our generation, it may be Michael Brown. Uh, for our generation, it may be uh, 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 it, take any number of things that have shook our generation to the core. Mm-hmm. Our kids are now going to have to live through us processing those moments. The work that we have to do is to make that as innocent as possible for them mm-hmm. to go, we're going to forgive. Mm-hmm. We're going to move past. We're going to try to understand. We're going to try to love. We're going to reach out you know, and, 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 and try to you know, bridge the gap between the two so that our kids have an opportunity to have a a, a, a blank slate mm-hmm. without the, because I can remember my mom and dad both had their own things about the world, you know, things mm-hmm. that I had to then process and go, oh, that wasn't true, dad. Mm-hmm. Yeah, oh man, mm-hmm. so true. You know, everybody's uh, folks, you sort of have that own, your, your, your own moment that you have to process personally based on things that you heard your parents say. And I think the challenge now for our culture is for the first time we have to process every moment because it's coming at us 24 seven. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so that's one of the big problems is, um, you know, one of the big, I think the elephant in the room as we process policing is, is never before has our culture had to view every single decision that a police officer makes because it's right in front of us on camera. Wow, mm-hmm. yeah. And that's that's just one of the things is, um, and seeing thing, seeing something changes the way you feel about it. Uh, what's the running back that can't get a job now in the NFL because he punched his wife in the elevator? Oh, uh, I can't think of his name. That Rice. was the guy from the Ravens, right? Yeah. Rice. Uh-huh. So there was one discipline that was given then we saw it. 
seeing affects things. Now, this is yeah. what happened in the Vietnam War. The Vietnam War was the first time where you actually saw people crying out for their mom. Yeah. So we have to, we just have to accept that, uh, you know, I think that we're more rational when we don't see it and we're more emotional when we do and that impacts us. And so as a culture, we have to, we have to go forward now saying, we're gonna see a lot of stuff that no generation has ever seen. Mm -hmm. And unfortunately, it's gonna be the lowest moments. Mm -hmm. um, it's gonna be, it's gonna be, it's gonna be, it's gonna be your worst moment because your best moments, nobody, yeah. nobody cares. We put that on Facebook, but your worst moment, your, you know, whatever that is. And as a culture, um, we need to be able to process and handle it. My, my hope, um, and I'll just give my two cents on the whole NFL thing is I think the NFL blew it. Um, I would have, I mean, it's a multi-million dollar, billion dollar corporation. I think they were just hoping the problem would go away. I would have loved with all that extra money, I would have loved to have seen some kind of charity sponsored where they're willing, because I think police officers would honor this is, and they're in a difficult situation because right, we all want police officers. We all love them <laughs> and, and we need them. But at the same time, you know, we got a problem here with, with, uh, you know, inadvertent use of force and often the death specifically of uh, black people, you know, some kind of charity where there, there's an arbitrary force that investigates. And, and I just would love to see this where they can look at the facts and really, really present the truth. And sometimes that means the police officer's exonerated. Nope, he, he's fine, everybody calm down. And then other times it's, look, this is atrocious and this is evil. And I feel like we don't have that. And, and that's part of the tension because at the end of the day, uh, police unions represent police officers. That that's just the reality. And um, um, you know, and and here's the great challenge in our culture. What was what was uh, O.J. Simpson's lawyer's name? Johnny Cochran. Cochran. Johnny Cochran said, uh, "What did he say? Um, the color of justice in this country isn't black or white. It's green. Mm -hmm. It's green. And so." the defense that you get and the process that you get is largely impacted by the checks that you can write. And that's a problem. And so black people are disproportionately affected by that in the court of law and, and getting their voice and their, you know, their day, their, you know, their moment heard. And so I just, you know, again, the, the NFL makes so much money and it was such an opportunity to really say, we, we, you know, let's, you know, cause it's a tightrope. You know, you, you, you want to represent, you know, your players who, who feel like this is an issue and the officers who protect you during the game. And so I just would have loved to have seen them l lead, but um, mm. but we, we have what we have. And, and unfortunately our president, uh, whom I pray for, you know, uh, threw gasoline on that fire. So mm -hmm. I just, you know, I just, again, even if you support Trump, I hope that you can see that, um, you know, I think those comments are fine from an average American, but he's not an average American. He's the president of the United States. And uh, he has a responsibility to uh, bring people together and not divide over that issue. And, I, and again, um, I, I support our president and I pray for our president, but it's a scary thing when he is trying to influence how people express their right to express. Whether you agree with mm -hmm. Kaepernick or not, he has a right to express himself as long as the NFL says it's okay. He works for, the, he works for that company. Um, and you know, um, they, they didn't do anything about it. So then he has that right to do that. And, and, and you have the right to be offended. You know, you, you, ha you have that right. So, um, well, the NFL has exercised their rights since that moment. He does not have a job. Mm -hmm. Every, every, there are, there are way worse quarter. I mean, we're jumping in the NFL debate. Yeah. Everybody has the right, right? You've got a group of owners, an owners group mm. in the NFL, 32 of them right. who make the choices for it. They're deciding 
it's fine. He's not coming in for any number of reasons. Yeah, he threw too many interceptions or it's too much of a media circus. I think you say the same thing about Tebow. It's probably better quarterback. Uh, Tebow's probably a better quarterback than many second string, second string, third string quarterbacks out there. Coaches go, yeah, we, the attention that he brings. Yeah, yeah we, we we don't we don't want the attention. We don't want the circus. And I totally get that. I think there is uh, 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 someone like Kaepernick has made the choice to, I know, I'm pretty sure I may not ever get in the NFL, but it was important for me to do that, to have that moment, right? You mm -hmm. have that moment from uh, the Olympics and it was Mexico City Olympics where the, the two mm -hmm. runners yeah. put their fists in the air. They, they, they knew in that moment, this may cost us something, mm -hmm. but we're going to go ahead and do it. And then the NFL has the right to say, yeah, we're not going to have you back. What I don't think is that anyone has the right to say that you can't do that. That Kaepernick, you can't do that, or that an owners group that you can't do that. Mm -hmm. That's how that's how the game is played. It's how capitalism works, mm -hmm. and it's how individual responsibility works. Mm -hmm. And to me, I think the pressure from external forces, especially our president, who's got the full weight of the government on his shoulders, mm -hmm. for him to say how things should go, and especially the way that he said it, it's just disappointing. It was mm -hmm. disappointing to me because he is supposed to be the best of us, mm -hmm. right? He's supposed to be the one that can say. You know, I'm, I'm not going to pick a side, but here's how we move forward as a country. And instead, I, I thought he was inflammatory. It was unfortunate. Yeah, his extemporaneous speeches get the best of him. So, yeah. Um, yeah. So, anyway. yeah, I don't know that I agree with you on, on, on the Kaepernick thing incomplete. In, in but um, um, but I, I certainly think that Kaepernick, as a citizen of the United States, has the right to exercise um, his opinions, and and we should all support that because ultimately that's what the flag stands for. Right. The flag stands for uh, not just the men and women who died, but what they died for. And what they died for was freedom. Mm -hmm. And so to me, those freedoms are, are summarized in the freedom of religion, the freedom of speech, the freedom to assemble, and, and the freedom to elect. Yeah. So I, I think that that's I think that's where Trump has been misguided. And and I agree, I agree, he's inflammatory. And I and I on this issue, I think that he was wrong. And mm -hmm. um, um, I hope that, um, you know, in the future he will change, but yeah. Right. Next. All right. So Michael sent in a second question actually and asked, how should I respond when someone else shows racism toward me? Yeah. So, um, you know, man, it's tough. You know, racism makes my blood boil. Uh, I've seen it. I've been, I've, I've been the recipient of it and uh, it's really, really hard. And, uh, you know, I, I've, I've, at the end of the day for me, I have to ask myself, what does Jesus want me to do? Yeah. And, and what I wanna do is fight. Um, I get angry. And again, I, I know everybody thinks I'm nuts, but man, Hawaii's racist. It is, it's just ugly. Uh, I've, I've literally had a person push me over in a grocery store while I was carrying uh, a 24 pack of soda because I was white. And, uh, and he told me to go home in a grocery store while I'm shopping with my wife. So I, I've had this and, um, you know, there was more of them than there was of me. And everything in me wants to fight. But at the end of the day, being a Christian has got to call me to calm down and relax. And I, and I, I wish I handled it perfectly and I don't uh, because I'm not a perfect human being. And so um, at the end of the day, Paul says, we wrestle not against flesh and blood. It's not our races that are divided. It is the enemy that is dividing us. And that's what he is trying to do. And so I can't let the enemy get the best of me in that moment. Now, having said that, sometimes you got to stand up for what's right. I've seen a 14-year-old boy punched surfing by a grown man hmm. uh, who was Hawaiian. That's not okay. That's not acceptable. So in that moment, I have to interject myself into the process 
uh, and put myself in harm's way because that's not acceptable. It's not, it's not okay to watch a ch- any child to be wounded, hurt, uh, or, or whatever. And so, um, you know, you have to interject in that situation, but it's, re- it's, man, it's just really, really tough. It's really, really difficult. Um, and I think that, you know, what we need to do as Christians is we need to peacefully run to the minority, the person that's being picked on, to the alien, uh, to the one that is, you know, residing in your culture and, and you need to have a voice for them. And so what God does is he gives a voice to the voiceless. Um, the powerful have a voice. And so what we need to do is give a voice to those who aren't heard. And so we have to do that peacefully. Um, and, we, and we have to really, really check ourselves. Um, you know, if you're marching with an organization that its intent is violence, you cannot be a part of that process um, until the voices that be, right? So uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer has to make a decision in Nazi Germany. What is the greatest good? The greatest good for him was to kill Hitler. They had, they had to make that decision. Uh, I don't think we're anywhere near that in our country. Um, but you know, in the end, a guy who was very, very peaceful, Dietrich Bonhoeffer ultimately gave his life because he believed that the best thing for Christians to do was to take out this monster that was destroying people, literally killing millions of people because of their ethnicity, because he believed that his ethnicity was greater. And so we have to handle it that way. Um, I think that we have to come along and we have to support, you know, if Dex is the victim of racism, he has to know that I'm his brother, that I am next to him, that I stand with him and that I have his back. On the same token, you know, I have to, I have to try to help him be Christian in that moment. If he is, if he is the victim of racism, mm. uh, because I want him to represent Christ in that moment. And so, um, you know, we, we just, we just need to make sure that, that we do that, um, you know, um, it's just so it's just so so important because this thing's a powder keg and and the quickest thing to start a civil war is is racist issues. You don't believe me? There used to be a country called Yugoslavia, and now it's what Croatia, Serbia, and yeah, another one. Czech Republic. Czech. I don't know what it is, man, but they all they all killed each other, and and it just was tragic and terrible yeah. and awful. And people, you know, our culture's been super blessed that we haven't had to live through something like that. America's had a great run, so we have to make sure that. Uh, you know, we, we guard and protect against that. And again, that's why it goes back to, even if you disagree with Kaepernick, you have to support that because that's the bedrock of our culture. And if people don't have a voice, then it turns mm-hmm. to fighting. And you can passionately disagree. You, you can, absolutely. You can think he's a knucklehead, idiot, moron, whatever, but he has the right to express what he feels. And, um, and that's what the flag stands for. The flag stands for him, mm-hmm. as well as for the people who died for that flag. Mm-hmm. Uh, because we didn't die for a flag, we died for freedom. Mm-hmm. And uh, man, when we lose sight of that, we've lost America. And um, and that's that's really really tragic. And and so go ahead, you've yeah. probably been experienced racism way more than I have. So yeah, I, I would say in a practical sense, control the things that you can control. Right? Mm-hmm. You can control your tongue. You can control your temper. You can control your reactions. You can control. What you can't control is somebody being a fool. Right? So uh, there's. I'm sure I'm gonna mingle the phrase, but it, it essentially it says, like, don't waste your time trying to convince a fool, because you'll never make your point, and they'll always make theirs, right? Um, th- there's no way that someone who's a racist, probably in that moment that they are exerting racism against you, probably not a time to try to break it down and, you know, just protect yourself. I don't think anyone needs to be abused. No one should be physically assaulted without feeling like, well, Jesus wants me to just lay down and take this. I personally don't think that. I think you need to protect yourself in the moment. Here's what I don't think is good. I don't think that uh, uh, to to try to rate, to match aggression, right? To see someone's mm-hmm. aggression and then try to match it and overcome it. To me, it just ends up being 
to me, that's what social media is, <laughs> is not a place for conversation. It's where people try to outdo one another and it just becomes noise. Uh, and there's no place in that. And I've appreciated, you know, Matt and I have talked before about, you know, at, at, at what are you willing to trade for the gospel? Do you want to be right in a racial conversation? Would you rather, you know, out anger someone else uh, in that moment and, and, and give away and forfeit your ability to be able to share the gospel with the same person at some point? No, it's not worth it. To me, that really resonated when I had my own moment. Um, but I also think that it's important for everyone else. The sense is, well, what should I do on racism against me? I would say the bigger question is, what should you do when racism is against me? Mm -hmm. Does that make sense? What should I do when racism is against you? Mm -hmm. Because if the sense is, it's everyone, it's all of the racists, and not, and, and not just the racists, but all of the pacifists and people who said, I'm not a racist, but also didn't stand. If, if my sense is, I'm fighting against all of you, my reaction is going to be totally different. Mm -hmm. If I see that you are willing to fight for me, my reaction is also going to be different, right? I'm going to, I'm, I'm going to understand that it's not just me in a fight against them. And that, that is the thing that I think it does require the nuance. And it's the place that I'm grateful for our church and many churches around the country and around the world who are beginning to uh, uh, leverage their influence in conversations mm -hmm. about race because it is important for minorities to know and understand that it's not just minorities against the world, it's the people of God against you know the forces of evil. That is a much more powerful statement. It's something that people can trust in and 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 rely on, and live their lives understanding that if God is for me, then God's people should be for mm -hmm. me as well. Um, and so, from a from a from a minority standpoint, it's a powerful thing when you're able to see not people who are just standing by watching racism happen, understanding that they're not a racist and so they don't have a part in the fight. Instead, join, join the side of right. And that isn't always uh, uh, the, the, the easiest thing to see. Right is not always the one that's just claiming and yelling that they're right. It requires some nuance. It requires some relationship. I mean, it requires all of those you know, subtle things. It requires having a heart towards God and, 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 and trying to see where the spirit of God is alive in opportunities for you to be able to join in. Mm -hmm. But I think, I think that God is there. I think that God makes his heart for the mm -hmm. nations known very clearly. Yeah. I just want to, you know, share with you, Dex, that I, I think that a lot of pastors are there. You know, Rick Warren on a Friday sent out an email. Hey, join me <clears throat> for a conversation about race on Monday. And uh, the pastor of the largest church in the state of Mississippi, Chip Henderson, he's my friend, he's a white dude. He was there. That is pretty dang awesome. Mm -hmm. Mississippi historically has been one of the most racist, I don't know, I guess it's up there with Arkansas, but you know, one of the most racist yeah. places on earth. You got a white pastor, uh, pastoring the largest church in Jackson, Mississippi. Mm -hmm. He gets an email and he's there and he, want, he wants to know what to do and, um, and, and he shared. And I thought, that, I thought that was really, really powerful. And yeah. so that's exciting to see a white guy who says, look, this, this is an issue that black people are feeling, but I'm gonna be there. I'm yeah. gonna completely rearrange my schedule to be there. And, uh, and I just want you to know, Dex, there, there was major, major players who are white pastors who were there. They were there. What are we gonna do? You know? And Rick Warren's kind of the quarterback calling the team together. And um, it, was a, it was a beautiful thing. It was a beautiful thing to see and, and to know that um, things are getting better. There's a lot of work to do, mm -hmm. but you, you have to understand from a cultural uh, perspective, 
50 years ago, that man, maybe 10 years ago, 20 years ago, that's not happening. And that's happening now. You have a repentant pastor who want who wants to reach out to the black people in his community in Jackson, Mississippi. It's pretty cool. Mm-hmm. So well, that actually ties into our next question from Nicole, who just asked, how do we as a church then become elements of change in places where racism and prejudice exist? Like, how do, what's the next step then for those pastors who are hearing this and saying, okay, we need to change? What, what do we do? Well, I think the, the biggest challenge that the church has to, to wrestle with is what voice do we have? And the answer is very little culturally. Um, I think culture uses us when they want us and they, they discard us when they don't. And so we have to be really, really careful um, that's why you don't see me politically identifying with anybody because I think pastors get used. Yeah. And, um, mm-hmm. um, you know, uh, you get your holy guy praying over you and, and um, you know, then you're awesome. And so that's why I love what Rick Warren did when he hosted the debate between Barack Obama and um, John, McCain. John McCain. You know, he didn't endorse either of them, yeah. but he gave them both an opportunity to speak. And I thought that was pretty powerful. Mm-hmm. And I listened to the debate. I, to be honest with you, I don't know who he voted for. And I know him personally, I have no idea. I mean, he, you know, he really, really liked some things about each candidate and didn't care for some things about, you know, about each candidate. So I think the first thing that we have to do is we have to change our culture in the church. Listen to me, if you're an all white small group, you need to change that. Mm -hmm. You need to reach out to people of color. You need to reach out to minorities in our church. You, You need to open your home to people who are different than you because that's important, because that's the family of God. The family of God is not drawn together ethnocentrically. We are drawn together because of Christ. And so we have to make sure that we're opening up our homes to these people. You know, my daughter um, went to college and the majority of the people on her dorm wing were black. And I was so glad. Mm. I was so glad because that's, those are the people that, that, that I grew up with. And my kids, they don't know that story. Like, man, every time the stupid movie Blindside comes on, I just, I, I feel like it's like a Hallmark movie. It just sucks me in and I cry because I grew up with those kids. I grew up with those kids. And now I live with the white people in that movie who have no idea what that is like. Mm-hmm. You know, there's that scene in that movie where um, she gives them a bedroom. If you haven't seen The Blind Side, go home, watch it, get a, back, a box of Kleenexes. Um, and she says, what, you've never had a bedroom? And he says, I've never had a bed. I have four friends growing up who never had a bed. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. They slept wherever in the house they could. A couple of my friends had no furniture in their houses. And, and man, my kids haven't experienced that. And they don't know. My wife doesn't, hasn't experienced that. Mm-hmm. And so when my, my daughter was able to go, uh, you know, to, uh, uh, I don't know. I think, I actually don't know what CBU is. Your wife probably knows the ethnic makeup. But I don't know what they are. If they're at CBU, they're probably not in the same houses that your friends grew up in. <laughs> yes, yeah. but she grew up with. I mean, people year. there were from Chicago, from all yeah. from all over the United States. And man, she, you know, her roommate was African American. It was it was super cool, and I was so happy for her because I truly believe that uh, color blesses. It does. You get to see somebody from another perspective and from another worldview, and. Um, uh, you know, like I love Dex. Dex and I agree on a lot of things. Even like when we're talking about the Kaepernick thing, we come at it from such different perspectives, but yeah. Dex's perspective blesses me. Mm-hmm. And and Dex makes me think because I love and value Dex. Mm-hmm. And so I, I just think that's so important. Um, like if you're thinking about getting married, prepare yourself because your spouse, amen, Stephanie, mm-hmm. does not see things the way <laughs> no. that you see things, right? So that's just gender. Yeah. Um, now think about what your mom and dad went through. Sure. Like they loved each other but your mom was white and your dad was black and they came from different cultures. That, right. That's like another layer of complexity, yeah. you know? Um, and I, I can't imagine what it was like trying to not just close the gender gap, but close 
you know, and you say, oh, well, we love each other. Well, you love your wife. I love my wife. You love it. You love your husband, right? It mm-hmm. <laughs> only accounts for so much. <laughs> yeah, right. Like, I love you is the first 30 seconds, and then right. it's on, man. Well, okay, well, well, I love you, babe. Yeah, right. but right. I feel like, you know, so, you know, I, I can't imagine the the things that you, you have to work through. And then for some for some couples, right, there's, there's the gender barrier, there's the uh, ethnic barrier, then there's a language barrier. Yeah. What? I mean, mm-hmm. that's like, a, that's a whole nother mm-hmm. uh, level of, uh, you know, thing to work through. So I'm completely lost. You know, <laughs> yeah, I, I, I mean, I, I would say to this person, there's some real practical things that you can do, not just as a church goer, just as a human being to help bridge the gap with people. One is listen really well, right? Walk into relationships uh, uh, genuinely curious with no assumption of what the other person's uh, uh, what what the uh, the cues that you're getting from a person's skin or makeup or any of that? Be genuinely curious because you'd be amazed at the stories that you're able to hear. Right, stories of people who have struggled, stories of people who are tremendously successful, stories of people whose families come from you know backgrounds who are. Uh, I, mean, I, I think about some of the immigrant stories and the lives that people lived before they came to the United States as professors and doctors and scientists mm-hmm. and 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 then they you know for freedom come to the United States and have to start all over again from scratch I mean some of those stories are just deeply deeply you know genuine the second thing that I would say is find ways to love in very practical ways and I've I've loved the fact that at Sandals Church we have tried to uh, uh, do things where we put our money where our mouth is that is devoid of race or class or anything and go, look, there's a group of people who are hurting. Their entire neighborhood is leveled. Let's mm-hmm. all give something and not 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 need to know the specifics of where it lands. And right. does it, is it, are, are the Baptist going to get it? Or this guy, just get it out there and let God do what he's going to do with it. Mm-hmm. Find ways that you can practically love people. And then the last thing that I would say, especially to uh, uh Let's just go there. Really well-intending white people who feel like their responsibility is to reach black people, Mexican people, whatever. Don't. Reach white people. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like you've got influence with what you've got. You've got neighbors. Mm-hmm. There's conversations that probably need to have, need to be had that black people may not even be able to have with this group that you have influence, you have coverage with. Start conversations with your own neighbors instead of trying to do the work. Now, does it mean you can't talk to them? No, 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 that doesn't mean that at all. The thing I'm just trying to emphasize is mm-hmm. sometimes there ends up being a, a bit of a savior complex of this injustice happened. Let's all go to Inglewood and like help Inglewood. It's fine, right? There's nothing mm-hmm. wrong with that. But if you could help the people who are around you have an open mind and have a softer heart and help to see the world the way that you are starting to see the world mm-hmm. because your heart is being softened because you're starting to, you know, God is doing the stuff in you. That is a tremendous advantage for mm-hmm. someone like them to be able to hear from someone like them that, that change is possible or mm-hmm. that the world is different than the way that we see it. Mm-hmm. So I would, I, I would encourage that as well. I right? toss that into, to your, list of things that you're trying to do. You know, the pastor friend from Mississippi, love that he wants to reach black people in his area, but man, you could reach your white people yeah. in Mississippi could use some help. <laughs> yeah. yeah, like, you know, uh, start off with them uh, as well. Um, because again, you sort of have that influence and you have that sphere. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, you know, on Saturday morning, my son and I were going to the hardware store, and we went into McDonald's for breakfast uh, on the way, and we, we sat down. With, I don't know. They had this weird bar top thing. We sat down, and there was an older gentleman there and just trying to be friendly with him. And he literally, right out of, the, out of the gate, he says, can't wait to get out of California. And I was like, okay. And he just says, um, his words, he's like, because all these colors just taking, uh, living off the government handouts, taking all our money. And I was like, whoa. But in that moment, I just, I, you know, I told you, we had talked about this. I just looked at him and I said, you know, I got to be honest with you. I'm, I'm so grateful for a country that does give these handouts because without him, my grandpa wouldn't have made it in this farm society in Iowa a decade and a half ago. And that's how he provided for my dad. And without him, my dad never would have made it through college because that's, that's, that's where that funding came from. And uh, if that didn't happen, I probably wouldn't be sitting here with my son. And he just kind of stared at me and it was like, hmm. In, he's like, whoa, that's not what he, yeah. that wasn't what he That's not how that was supposed to work. Yeah, I, I guess I look super racist. So, um, <laughs> you kind you kind of do. I know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He thought he was going to connect, but that was, you know, it yeah. just was an opportunity. I, I just want to say one more thing before we jump on. Listen, if you are a non-white minority person here at Sandals Church and all of us white people start reaching out to you to be in our community group, please show us grace. <laughs> I mean, it's going to happen. It's going to happen scary. right yeah. now. Um, it should happen. It should happen. Totally. Yeah. yeah. If everybody deal. does this, man, we're, I, I don't know. You're going to, it's an opportunity to show us grace as we try and figure this out. And, and this is one of those nuanced things, because I'll tell you from the minority side, instantly you start, you understand when, you know, it's uh, Black History Month or like some crazy thing happens <laughs> and everybody's like, hey, bro, why don't you come hang out? And you're like, well, where have you been all the rest of the year? Let me say to uh, my minority brothers and sisters, don't. Right. Let's not have that attitude. <laughs> let's meet. <laughs> let's go halfway. Let's go middle ground mm-hmm. and go. Here's some people who are trying to expand their horizons. Let mm-hmm. me not be mad, frustrated, curious about any moment before this moment. Let me see this moment as honest, genuine, sincere. Let's jump in, roll the dice, and see where this thing goes. Because it it, it doesn't help to walk into things with resentment. Yeah. It helps to walk in with hope. That's a big deal. All right, so this next question from Sherilyn is, isn't it normal for us to hang out with the people that we resemble? Even among our own culture, there are many differences. Doesn't God put us where he wants us to be? So, yes, it's totally normal to hang out with people of your own color, but show me where Jesus calls us to be. Well, I guess I had a sermon point that said be normal, but... uh, (laughs) Yeah. We're not we're not supposed to be like everybody Different else. Kind of, yeah. Yeah, yeah, we're supposed to be abnormal in the way that we relate. And if you don't believe me, read the book of Acts because you have people of all cultures, all ethnic backgrounds. And and literally in the next couple of weeks you're going to hear me talk about where literally Paul says some of you used to be barbarians. Mm-hmm. So that's that's the that that's the most ethnically ugly word that you could use in the ancient world. Uh, he calls out some races specifically, races that are looked down upon. He said, that's what you used to be, but now you're in Christ. Mm-hmm. So, and he throws Jews in there too, right? So Jews believe that, you know, that they were culturally superior. They were the chosen people of God. He throws them in that same list. You used to be, mm-hmm. but now mm-hmm. you're this. So, so you need to hang around with people that, um, you know, and maybe at least worship together. Mm-hmm. Like, right, like, yeah. at least... Start there. Start start at the foot of the cross and, and 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 allow other people to come around that. What was the second part of her question? Doesn't God put us where he wants to be wants us to be? Yeah, that's a cop out. That mm-hmm. that's such a cop out. I mean, you know, I was in Huntington Beach. That's where that's where I was, but God called me here. 
So God is always calling you to move away from your comfort zone to things that make you uncomfortable. Yeah, yeah. And so simply because God has put you in a certain neighborhood or, or created you to be a certain ethnicity, he calls you to worship with your neighbors and to love people of other cultural backgrounds or ethnic groups. That, that's just, you know, I think that's normal thinking, but that's not, or natural thinking, and that's not supernatural thinking. You have to move away from the herd mentality to the heavenly mentality. And we want Sandals Church here to reflect that. I mean, if you want to find a church where everybody looks like you, there's plenty of them out there. That's not what we want Sandals to be. We want Sandals to be a mosaic of all peoples, all cultures, all ethnicities coming together, reflecting the glory of God. That's that's what we want us to be hmm. here. Um, now, having said that, I mean, I, you know, I think that... Um, there's nothing wrong if you're black, if you want to hang out with black people, just that can't be all that you hang out with. Right. Mm-hmm. Or if you're white, there's nothing, you don't need to be, have, you know, especially if you're a white person, you don't need to have white shame. Yeah. But what you need to do is have appreciation for people of other cultures. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think that's the negative of what's happening is you don't need to feel bad because you're white. What you need to do is appreciate other colors, ethnicities, and cultures mm-hmm. and get to know them and appreciate them. And we haven't even begun to talk about all the Pakistani families that we, we have in our, our our church, which I love. And they're constantly inviting me over for food, which I want to eat. And you need to experience that and experience their culture and experience their life. I mean, if you've never had Filipino food, what are you doing? <laughs> like, man, and I'm not talking restaurant. I'm talking in the home, man. It is oh, yeah. so good. Yeah. Uh, appreciate those cultures and, and those people. And a part of culture is food. Yeah, mm-hmm. It is. And, uh, you know, thank God for immigrants. Cause if you go to England, English food is horrible. Yeah. <laughs> if you want to know what English food tastes like, go get a piece of bread and put salt on it and lick it. Mm-hmm. Or just get a rock and boil it. Oh mm-hmm. man. <laughs> and I love my English brothers and sisters, but your food is so bad. Like when we were there, we, I was like, we got to find a Turkish place. We got to find Indian food. We got to find anything <laughs> because I mean, you can only have boiled carrots so long, man. Right. Like, what mm. is that? Yeah. So, so, so yeah, I think we're all drawn to people who are like us. It's just like in high school, the baseball players hang out with the baseball, but come on, graduate. Yeah. Move on. Yeah. Okay, JC says, to date, we've not identified our children's race. This is not so that they can never know who they are, but because our children are multiracial and belong to a larger group of people. We want them to experience life without the binds of race and inclusion exclusion. Is it wrong for us to not address or identify our children's race and heritage? Is it something that is necessary to address and identify? Somebody's going to identify it. Mm. Somebody is. I think one of the things for me, it, people go, oh, why don't you identify with the white tie? I'm like, well, nobody else does, really. <laughs> like, there's never a, hey, let me guess, you're white, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I see a little white guy in you. I yeah, do. for sure. I mean, I, I, I don't have, any, it's it's an obvious biological part of it, right? It's, it's, mm-hmm. it's, I don't have any problem with that part of it. When it comes to identity, it's any number of things. Who are you around? Uh, uh, what do you What do you like? And then also, what do uh, how do other people perceive you? And so, I would say, yeah, you you need to you, at the very least, you need to acknowledge with to your kids that they are you know however you describe it biracial, multiracial, omniracial, polyracial, <laughs> whatever. Yeah. Race is not a bad thing, right? Mm-hmm. It's not, it, and and to try to hide it makes it a bad thing, mm, right? Yeah, it makes it a thing where it's like, why, 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 why do we never talk about this? Mm-hmm. That's a weird. That's a that's. It's almost like not talking about your dad or something, like pretending right. he wasn't there, <laughs> mm-hmm. you know. And so, yeah. I, 
here's the other thing is thank God for genetic testing because all of our families lie to us. Yeah. Uh, man, everybody's American Indian because that's cool. And then you take the test and they're like, nope, you're Irish. Right. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, I, yeah, I mean, I want to know what I am because yeah. my family my family doesn't have great records because we were poor. Mm-hmm. And if you're west of the Mississippi, man, they don't know what you are because right. you just married whoever was available. <laughs> so uh, that's true, man. It's really, really true. I mean, there's not great records, man, in the West, man, because everybody was dying. And, you yeah. know, you, you start off with one family, get in a wagon, right. you end up with another family. Who knows? Yeah. <laughs> you know? I mean, think about it, man. We go on vacation. Can you imagine if we went on vacation today, we're married to different people, have different kids, and well, yeah. that's just how it was, man. Yeah. You started off, well, we got to Denver. And, Let's try it again. Yeah. Yeah. Here we go. Wife number six. Right. <laughs> um, so I, I think it's important that you see race as something that's beautiful, as long as you think all races are beautiful. Mm-hmm. I think mm-hmm. the natural inclination is to think that yours is better than everybody else. Mm-hmm. That's sinful. Yeah. God's better than everybody else. Yeah. You know, so all of our races are beautiful. They're all awesome. They're 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 all incredible. And so we we need to celebrate them. And thank God we get to live in this beautiful country where we all get to pursue freedom and mm-hmm. and be who God's called us to be. Mm-hmm. So, All right, this next question comes from Joshua. And he says, I strongly disagree that there's a significant problem with racism in America or in the world. And it's not just me being a foolish, uninformed white person. I feel it's an issue about culture. Clearly, there are cultures that work toward ending discrimination and cultures that oppress and abuse people due to cultural and religious belief. Am I a fool to think culturally culture is what people hate and not skin color in the modern world. I don't know what he means at the end. So let's, let's back up. Racism is a problem everywhere. Mm -hmm. Uh, Clearly he hasn't traveled around and I would encourage him. Uh, So let me say this. America is probably the least racist country on earth. It is bad everywhere, everywhere. They're killing people everywhere, all over the world. It is is so bad. Like right uh, today, did the Kurds vote today? Oh, I don't know. I think they voted today for freedom. Let me tell you something. If they voted for freedom, they'll probably be attacked by the Turks, Mm. by the Syrians. If they had an army left, Uh, the the Sunni and Shiite Iraqis don't like them. I mean, why? Because they're ethnically different and, and and they're seen as a threat. It's a problem all over the world. And uh, it's not just a problem, you know, like uh, in differences of color. I mean, there are real problems with Scottish, Irish, and English that, that go back thousands of years. Um, these are real, real problems. So much of what's motivating North Korea's hatred. Why do you think they're lobbing missiles over Japan? Because mm-hmm. they hate them. Mm-hmm. And they have for literally hundreds of years. And they're, what do they think they're teaching in their schools? You know, what they did to us and how they enslaved us. And, you know, the, the Vietnamese hate the Chinese. And, and this goes all over the place. It, it's a problem everywhere. So yes, you're ignorant. And I love you, Joshua. And I appreciate you and your whiteness, but you're ignorant. It's a problem everywhere. Uh, America is wrestling with racism. Now, here's the thing. Here's where you're right. Is it getting better? Of course, it's getting better. Of course it is. Um, people are changing. Things are changing. Culture is changing. That doesn't mean that there aren't remnants of that structure that still negatively affect black people. And so, um, Black people have been more negatively affected than any other culture in our society because of racism, because of segregation. They have. It's a problem. And some of the problems that we're facing within black communities are remnants of what was done to them historically in this country. And so, you know, that's where I hated it. You know, you know, you know, why don't we talk about black on black crime? Well, okay, what's created that? There's there's been a culture that has created mm-hmm. a stigmatism. Um, and this is why it's so important to say black lives matter, to say black is beautiful because that need, they need to know that because mm-hmm. it is, mm-hmm. it is. 
Black is beautiful. Black matters. It, it does. And, um, you know, part of, you know, so much of the violence that's occurring in there is because they, they have not been raised to think that that matters and that's important. And it's, and, and what is our contribution historically to that happening? And then they always throw up a black guy on TV who made it. Look, some people are extraordinary and they survive no matter what. That doesn't mean that there's not a problem, right? right. You know, um, so, so I, again, you know, Joshua, I hope your heart's in the right place, but man, your, your, your mind, you're, you're not reading the facts. Now that doesn't mean it's not exaggerated. It's not being inflamed. Of course it is. That's what the media does. That that's what our culture does. We gravitate towards bad news, not good news. Um, but that doesn't mean that there's not a problem. Um, you know, we've made great strides in policing. We still got some bad eggs. Mm-hmm. We still got some bad people. Just like I said, there's bad pastors. Mm-hmm. There's bad lawyers. There's bad teachers. God, did you, I had bad teachers. Did you guys, I had some, I had some teachers that shouldn't have been watching pets. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> like, right. right? right. Um, and so, uh, you know, large cities like what Dex grew up in, LA, that hires lots of police officers, more bad apples are gonna be in the bunch. It's just, you know, we're blessed in Riverside. We got a small police department. You know what that means? They get to be picky. Yeah, they do. In larger cities, um, you know, where it's more difficult to get police officers, oftentimes it, it's a struggle, and you know, you can only hire from the pool that applies. And 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 sometimes bad people, you know, get, get through the cracks, and that happens. And I know that I know they try to do background checks and do all that stuff, and so. Uh, so just know it exists. It's real. It's Joshua, right? Yeah, yeah. It's real. It's very, very real. And um, if you're a Christian, you're called to care about people, and um, and, the, and 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 care for them, and, and and listen to their story. And it sounds like you've lived a very privileged, special life. And thank God for that. Thank God for that. God has has blessed you. But it's very, very real, and um, and we need we need to acknowledge it. So, mm-hmm. what was the last part that he said? Well, he was just saying, I feel like it's culture that people hate. Okay, that's what I don't know what he means. I think think some of it is semantics, right? If Mm -hmm. you're going to choose between skin color or culture or whatever, the the challenge I would have with the culture part is that if we were having an issue in culture, then you would have Southern whites marching in the cities of Northern whites because the Mm -hmm. culture is radically different between Southerners and Northerners. You really have that. Mm -hmm. You've got... Whites marching against blacks that they hate. You've got blacks being upset at what, like skin informs quite a bit, Mm -hmm. even if it's ill-informed, right? Even if it's not correct information, Mm -hmm. seeing skin pours a lot of content into the minds of people. Mm -hmm. And that I think is a challenge that we're trying to overcome Mm -hmm. is how can you turn that, that initial thought when it comes to skin color, how can you change the wiring in your brain so that you don't see that as a burden, but you see that as a blessing. You don't see that as something that you hate, but you see that as something that informs another opportunity for you to love in a different sort of way. So Josh, I, 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 I agree with Matt. I think there's probably some confusion between what you mean by skin and what you mean by culture and all the rest of that. I would say that skin is a huge, huge, huge thing because it is the trigger for many people to pour in whatever content they think mm-hmm. that other person's culture is, and that's a problem. Yeah, you know, Joshua, obviously you're a part of Sandals Church. You listen to the debrief for a reason. I mean, so I'm not trying to be weird or whatever, but I mean, our pastor is doing a sermon on racism, diversity from the Bible. Man, I just would encourage you to 
pray and ask God if there's something in here that you can learn and grow from. This is a hard thing. You know, I had no clue. I had no clue that racism was an issue in America, let alone like a a, a significant mm-hmm. issue in my heart. I had zero clue until like 13, 14 months ago. Yeah. Um, and since then, God has really grown me. Man, I just want to encourage you to open yourself up if there's a possibility. Um there's something God has really good for you on the other side of that. So. Yeah, and Joshua, I would just say this, man. Racism is a problem in black people. I've met black people who are racist. The difference is there's not as many of them. Mm-hmm. They're a minority. So it's 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 a problem that affects everybody. Mm-hmm. It's a real, real problem. And, um, you know, we, we, need, we need to be aware of it. And, and again, it's a sin. And, and, and the church needs to speak against it. And, and speak out against it. And again, I think that's a place for people to come and find healing and to say, look, man, that Sandals Church is a temple. We're not a temple. You're the temple. Uh, you know, your, your body's a temple, but we're a place where all people can come and it's not segregated. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's not. I mean, if you go to the temple today, do you know it's segregated between men and women? Mm-hmm. There's the male side and there's the female side. Even today, like if you go to the Wailing Wall today, today, uh, and it's worse if you go on top because it's run by... Muslims, man, and they are not friendly. So, uh, man, I tell you, some of the most tense moments I've had have been on the Temple Mount. Hmm. It's been rough. Hmm. So uh, to to this day, it's still a divided thing. It's still a divided issue. And that's not in America. Right. So, um, yeah. Okay, last conversation, or last question comes from David. I hope this is not our last conversation. Yeah, uh, uh, me too. I hope so. We'll see how it goes. Yeah, so the last (laughs) question comes from David, and this was in response to uh, last week's podcast. He says, the conversation on race both challenged and frustrated me. My fear and frustration is that it failed to recognize the role that the media have in exasperating an already sensitive and explosive issue. How do we desensitize the issue with all of the inertia being driven by the press and the grievance industry? Well, here's the first thing, and this is, you know, I'm glad that uh, the podcast challenges you and frustrates you. I think if you're not challenged and frustrated by your church, you're not being spoken to. Mm-hmm. So um, let me say this. So, so let me say, I agree. The media fans the flame. Here's what I don't think many of you understand. You are the media. If right. you have Facebook, if yeah. you have Instagram, if you have Twitter, yep. you are the media. And mm-hmm. so I think we want to crucify the professional industry the people that get paid for this, and then we fail to take responsibility for what we're putting on our Facebook, what we're putting on Insta- our Instagram, what, what we're tweeting out. Um, and so we need to understand, yeah, yes, it's inflamed. That, that's what the world does. It, it inflames things and the media exists to have us watch. Mm-hmm. And that's why they go to the worst event. I mean, you know, the media is not running and putting a microphone in my face. They're going to go find some racist white pastor that pastors a church that only his family goes to because they have to, right? That that's where that's who they're going to interview. And so you have to understand that. Um, but just because they're inflaming it doesn't mean it's not real. Mm-hmm. So you know, so yeah, it's real. And um, you know, as a Christian, understand you know the media wants to get you wound up. They want to get you upset. They they want you to feel whatever. They want to polarize white people and black people because it it creates it creates this. Now, having said that, you know what our president did this week was polarizing. Whether what, if, whether you like him or not, it was polarizing. Which I think the president of the United States should be unifying. There were some things that Barack Obama did that I thought were polarizing. Not to this extent. This is this is another level of polarization. Um, you know, calling people sons of female dogs was a bad move. Okay. It was it was a bad move. It was wrong, and um, I, I wish that I hope that he can come to that conclusion. Um, and so, understand that's not the media. That was 
that was a pep rally gone wrong, right? It was just, it was just dumb. It was just so dumb. And um, it, it just inflamed this feeling and this tension. And, and it really says exactly what Dex is complaining against is that we're not being heard. Mm-hmm. That, that's what it said. Mm-hmm. We, not only do I not hear you, but you're wrong for mm-hmm. doing whatever you're doing. And again, if Donald Trump is just Trump Tower, tweet that all day long. All day, man, right. man, go on every talk show, tell everybody. But when you're the president of the United States, you're in the White House and you represent every American and you have a responsibility uh, just as our military, military does. They fight for all people, not just the ones that they believe in. And so mm-hmm. um, Donald Trump has got to be a voice for even the people that he disagrees with. He's mm-hmm. got to represent them. And I think he did so well in Florida, in Houston. He had a good couple weeks. Uh, I'm not a Trump hater. This was out of line and, and it was a problem. And, and again, you can hate the media all day, but they, you know, they're fire, but this was fuel. Yeah. He threw fuel on this and man, you know, um, and this is coming from a guy who talks a lot and I've said stupid <laughs> things, <laughs> stupid things. Um, I just want to go on record as being the only person at this table who didn't laugh. Thank you very much. Well, Dex is already gone. So, <laughs> um, you know, guns blazing. <laughs> here's the difference is, is I think I've been approachable yeah. when I've blown it and people have been able to talk me off my ledge and out of my defensive position. And I hope that our president can have some people that can talk to him, come around him mm-hmm. and say, look, man, this, this, is, this is not okay for the president of the United States to say, um, because even if he was right, and I don't believe that he was, he shouldn't have said it. Yeah, should, I, I, that, That's my opinion. And, and hopefully you'll still come to the church because my job is not to preach to your political party. It's to preach to the truth. And, and we want a leader that st- stands up for everybody. Mm-hmm. I mean, uh, one of the things I think Donald Trump has done really well is he stood up for Christians. I think Christians have been taken a lot on the chin lately. Mm-hmm. He stood up for them. I applaud him in that. This issue, stand up for them, man. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, uh, man, you know, I, Again, you know, I, I just wish Donald Trump would reassure black people, man, we're going to get to the bottom of this. We're going to have better police officers. We're yeah. going we're, we're, we're to investigate every crime. We're, we're going to do whatever we can to make sure that you feel comfortable in this country because this is your country mm-hmm. and, and we love you and we appreciate you. And, um, and black people add so much to the culture of our country and so much to our history and just a part of who we are. And, and we're so grateful to, to the role that they've played as all ethnicities have played. And it was just so important for him, because um, he's white, because he's a one percenter. I mean, he's like he's like every check there is, and he needs to say as a person who's been you know in power that, man, I feel you guys, and um, and and I respect your right because that's what makes America great. That's what makes us different from Russia, is you get to take a knee, you get to mm-hmm. you know put your fist in the air, you you, you get you get to do those things, yeah. and. Um, and, and, and we value your opinion because we value you and we can, we can all learn from something. And then we could just watch football and enjoy it. Right. So, um, you know, cause it, it puts us, it puts us all in a tough position. So it does go ahead. Yeah. What are you gonna say? I just think, you know, for someone like David, who's, who's looking to desensitize a moment, I just, the best thing you can do is just don't don't be sensitive to it, you know? I don't, I don't think I'm surprised by anything that the news says or pushes or tries to purport. I don't think I'm surprised anymore by Donald Trump and what he says. I don't think I'm surprised anymore by resistance or reaction to some of the prevailing thoughts. Like, I'm not surprised by any of it anymore, which isn't to say that it 
shouldn't be surprising or it shouldn't be something that is of concern, mm. but it's also not something I'm going to fight with somebody about. It's not something that I'm going to try to defend somebody that I've never met in my entire life. It's not somebody that I'm going to try to, you know, align myself with their views because, you know, I'm feeling frustrated or angry or whatever. To me, I think there's, there's a, a, a circle of, of voices that I trust, of people that I trust, of views that help to make mine better, of people who influence me towards positive response. Like that, that group doesn't get wide just because Channel 4, Channel 7, Channel 11, and everybody else is yelling about something. That group that I trust is still still pretty narrow mm-hmm. group regardless of what's being said about it. And David, if you can find that group of people that you can both trust to hear from and be influenced by and also that you can trust speaking to so that they can help give you you know some uh, uh, some context for some of the things that you're dealing with regardless of what the issues are that's probably the best way to do it but the more you add news channels to your social media feeds the more you you know friend and like voices that are loud and brash and 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 you know extreme or whatever the more you're going to find yourself really, really sensitive to mm-hmm. the issues of the day. There's just there's no getting away from the media altogether. But I don't have to follow them. I don't have to retweet them. I don't have to try to support them. I don't have to try to make sense out of their nonsense. Make your circle small. Have it be people that you know and love and who can deeply influence you and who you are. And then do the same with them. Try to deeply influence them and who they are. Don't yeah. try to win the war of words it's impossible yeah and i would encourage all of you you know whether you voted for trump or not pray for him and so you know here's the thing that frustrates me the most is distraction is the enemy of progress Mm. and what this is when he's interjecting into what a professional athlete is or is not doing it's a distraction and and here's the reality man we're on the verge of nuclear war Mm -hmm. uh we we need the president to function at a different level and be focused on different things and this is a distraction and uh, we need him to solve this $20 trillion pro, uh, uh, deficit. Mm-hmm. We have a healthcare crisis looming. Yeah. People have no idea what happens with Obamacare next year. Our, our, our premiums in California uh, go up 50%, Wyoming 200. These are real issues that we need them tackling rather than talking about what a what private a football business- player should do yeah, or not it's do, like, right? You, man, you have so much on your plate, bro. Yeah. You know? Focus on that. I need you to. I need you to focus on saving the world, (laughs) please. And so, um, just pray for him that he would do that because we need him to be successful. We need him to be able to manage all of the problems that are happening in the world. The world is a very dangerous place. It's a very, very ugly place. And at no time, probably in in, at least in my adult life, I mean, since the Kennedy crisis, are we facing something like this? I mean, this, 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 this is straight back to JFK. You know, right. th- this is a big deal and our lives hang in the balance. And so we need him yeah. focused on that. Yeah. And you need to be praying for him. Even if you, you know, please don't say this if you're Christian, don't say not my president. And you know why I say that? Because it drove me nuts when I heard white people say it about Barack Obama. Mm-hmm. He is the president yeah. and we need, we, <laughs> we all need to be in prayer for him. Mm-hmm. So, because clearly he needs it. Mm-hmm. And we need to be praying for him and say, God, lead this man, Mm -hmm. speak to this man, change the circles that this man is running in Mm -hmm. because he he needs some other voices. And, uh, um, you know, he needs some wisdom in terms of how he exercises his free speech. I mean, that's the irony in all of this, right? We're criticizing a citizen for what they said, but he needs to 
be critical of what he's saying. Mm -hmm. And uh, and I know, man, I get fired up, and you guys have to edit what I say. And thank God on the debrief, there's a mute button. <laughs> That's what it is, in case you're wondering. What okay, it <laughs> you didn't laugh, but you did just tweet Bell, uh, Pastor Matt. I think this is my lowest tweeted debrief in history. You got, you're going to get one really, really good one. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Which one was that? I don't know. Yeah, somebody will, somebody will tweet Dex out about just trying to get We're on it. Well, if you want to find it. all that great stuff <laughs> that, that Pastor Matt shared, uh, you can do all that online. Show notes for this episode are at debrief.show slash 81. Uh, we're going to continue talking about this. We're going to talk about what it looks like to love others uh, over the next couple of weeks here at Sandals Church. So if you've got questions, you want to follow up, uh, or even questions from this other, the most recent sermon, uh, man, send those in. Let's keep this conversation going. I am learning a ton. That's right. And if you need something better to follow than all of those news outlets you need to unfollow right oh, now, there you can you follow go. us on Ooh. at Debrief Show on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Stephanie, uh, we would love to share some great <laughs> stuff with you that you can share with other people that will hopefully. Help out. Yeah, turn off turn off the news and read your Bible. Yeah. If you want to cool. see pictures of cute kids at Dex Alexander, hit me. <laughs> there it is. You do have we'll put that in the show. We'll put that's those, we'll put those in the all show. I got. Yeah, that's <laughs> all I got for social media. That's right. that's right. It's so divisive though. All you you put them all in the black and white filter, man. It's hardcore. It's very, very divisive. It is. divisive. It's hardcore. He's got a brand. Yeah, it's yeah. true. It uh, we love you guys. If you want to support the show, uh, Sandals Church, all that goodness, text Give Debrief to 951-900-4120. Give Debrief to 951-900-4120. We love you guys. So we'll be back in episode two. I think that's a, that's a good one. Or no, episode 82. 82. Episode oh, 82. man. I was like, bro, you can't count. I like doing the show. In the, we yeah. don't do math. 